storm, in the fire. Thank you, Jesus, that you're in the boat. Thank you that you're with us now. We've come here today to worship you, to magnify you, to glorify your name. We love you, Jesus. This is your church. We love you. We've come here to worship you today. Lord, I pray every word that I speak would be your words, that we'd receive your word, Lord Jesus, that it would do the work that you want it to do in our hearts. And everyone said, amen. Why don't you give someone a high five and grab a seat. How are you, church? You good? Look at me, smile. You're good? You look good. That's good. Well, uh, last week, Teo Konda was uh, preached up a storm. Who was here? It was good, wasn't it? If you missed it, you should watch it um, on the podcast. He actually uh, prayed for miracles and healing after the service. If you came out the front and you received a miracle, a healing, we would love to hear a testimony. Who knows that testimony builds faith? And Revelation says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. So testimony builds faith. So uh, if you do have a uh, testimony of healing, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Well, the title of my message this morning is A Beautiful Bride. Everyone say A Beautiful Bride. I don't mind admitting that I'm a romantic. Who's a romantic here? There's a few girls, a few guys. Vince, good on you. Um, I think Steve's a bit of a romantic. You wouldn't know to look at him, but he is. (laughs) Who'd have thought that? He's embarrassed now. He romanced me with flowers. Isn't that beautiful? Everyone going, aww. And I love a good rom-com. Who loves a good romantic comedy? Uh, Steve does too. How blessed are my girls? A husband who likes a romantic comedy. Who'd have thought? I love weddings. Who loves weddings? I may occasionally stalk a bride. Does anyone else do that? You're out somewhere beautiful. You see a bride. You're like, stop the car, Steve. There's a bride. Anyone else do that? Just me? Come on, girls. You do it too. One of my favourite moments at a wedding is that moment when the bride arrives. There's that hush. Everyone stands up. Well, you've all gone quiet too. It's good. And the bride appears and she walks down the aisle to the bridegroom. I love that moment. All eyes are on the bride. What will she be wearing? How will she look? What flowers will she be carrying? What expression will be on her face? How about the bridegroom? Let's not forget him. Everyone forgets him. What will he do as he waits for his bride? Will he, um, will he cry uncontrollably? I love those videos of guys that do that. By the way, guys, it's okay to cry. Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible. Will he just smile from ear to ear? Will there just be a single tear trickle down his uh, face? Well, I'd love you to watch this video and let's, um, let's watch this reaction. My favorite picture on my wedding day is the one of me seeing my bride for the first time. Because in my face, you can see the absolute beauty of the one who was set before me.
We're here to celebrate what God has done in the lives of Kelly and Ben. God himself instituted marriage in a time of man's innocence. Everything was good. God declared that man was very good, but he said one thing was not good. He said it was not good for man to be alone. So for this reason, God created woman out of man's own substance. And for this cause, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. I'm Kelly's dad. My name is Mark. It's just such a special time for us. You know, we're all here to celebrate Kelly and Ben's wedding today, and it just does my... Uh-oh. <laughs> It does my heart good to look at all the all their friends. <laughs> Forgive me. Most of them know that I'm the biggest crybaby. Today we are all cheering you on as you embark on this new leg of your race. When we met to talk about this day, you both talked about how every single person here played such a significant part in getting you to this moment. The people who are here today will also play a significant part in the rest of your journey together. Before we go any further, I just want you to take a minute. I just want you to look at this cloud of witnesses. Take in the people who are here to celebrate with you. Ben, one of the things Kelly said about you was how you always put her ahead of yourself, that you have run hard after her heart. When you go and you remember this day and how you felt when you first saw her walk down the aisle towards you, remember this joy you feel, because this is the same kind of joy Jesus feels about you. And if he loves you like that, you will be able to love Kelly until your race is over. to be your loving and faithful husband. I do promise and covenant to be your loving and faithful for better or for worse. Plenty of warmth and joy and sorrow and sickness and in health. To love and to cherish till death do us part. Feel so right to love you like this. There's so much I want to say. when I
How beautiful is that? To see that love between the bridegroom and the bride. I chose that video because it was a Christian marriage and they really understood the significance of uh, the church uh, as being the bride of Christ. So I want to ask you this question this morning. If you ask your unsaved friends, what is church? What is it all about? What do you think they would say in response? Many would say that you go to church. Church is a building, right? You've all heard that. When you walk into the church, if you go into the building, that makes you a Christian. Many would say that church is a religious organisation that, and that belonging to it makes you a Christian, almost even if you only go to two meetings a year. But church is not uh, a place or a building. It's not an organisation. It's actually us. Look around at the people next to you. We are the church. It's far more personal and dynamic than that. Church is actually a living, breathing being. It's us. It's the born-again believers who've received that revelation that Jesus is Lord and we want the rest of the world to know, right? And the church is spreading across the universe right now, the church of Jesus Christ. So church is the pulsating body of Christ with Jesus as the head and the Holy Spirit is the breath of God breathing life into every cell in the body. Church is also the heart-changing temple of God where God's presence lives and moves and where Jesus is the architect, the builder, and the owner. And today I want to talk about the fact that the church is the celebratory bride of Christ, where Jesus is the bridegroom. Consider the look on that man's face as he's waiting for his bride to come. That's how Jesus feels about us. How good is that? So I want to spend some time today stirring up faith and reminding us we are that bride. We're the bride of Christ. So as I said, I love romances. When you think about it, there is no more romantic story than his story, right? The story of Jesus coming from heaven to earth to save you and I. What could be more romantic than that? It's an incredible story of audacious love. God takes a risk that he will be rejected, and many will. Fortunately, you didn't. You received him. Hallelujah. But it's audacious, isn't it? It's a risk. It's a story of betrayal. Jesus was betrayed. A story of sacrifice. It's a story of bloodshed and redemption. We've been redeemed, brought back, brought back into his love. It's a story of the lost coming home. That's our story. That's his story. And it's a story with an invitation. I'm going to talk about this later. An invitation to a wedding, an invitation to love. And we are intrinsically wrapped up in this invitation. When we said yes, we're a part of that story. How cool is that? So now we're the church, we're the called out ones, we're the bride of Christ. So I want to talk today about what makes us so beautiful as the bride of Christ. What might make us attractive to the rest of the world? Have you ever thought about that? We're going to think about it today, if you never have. So I want to talk about three really important, beautiful characteristics of the Church of Christ. And the first one is this, our first love. Everyone say, our first love. Our first love is Jesus. And by this I mean as Jesus' followers, we have made the decision to put Jesus first, right? First in my life. First in my relationships. First in my home. 
first in my family, first in my decisions. But here's the challenge for all of us, to keep first things first. It's hard, isn't it? We've all struggled with that. But can I encourage you, never forget your first love. That's the reason we're here today. We're doing a service, but it's not about the service. It's not about an event. It's not about the lights. It's about Jesus. And I know you know that because you're here. Hallelujah. We don't want to be like the church in Ephesus who forgot their first love. It's easy to let other things creep into our lives, isn't it? It's our jobs, maybe. Our jobs can keep us very busy. Who would say their job keeps them busy? Here's the thing. Busyness has become a status symbol. Have you noticed that? How are you? I'm busy. I've said that. We've all said that. It's almost like the busier we are, the more important we are. So busyness can become an idol. Ooh. Silla. How about our house? Our house can become more important than Jesus. Here's the thing I've learned. The list never finishes. The house is never finished. Nothing wrong with the house. Nothing wrong with it. But let's not let it become more important than Jesus. Maybe it's our desire to travel. We're looking forward to travelling soon to Tassie, going overseas. Uh (laughs) All the way across the Tasman Sea. But these things can really get in the way of us worshipping Jesus. You can worship Jesus as you travel. Just don't forget it's about Jesus. So I want to ask you, do you remember what it felt like when you first fell in love with Jesus? I've been praying about this, asking God to remind me. Do you remember? Think for a moment. Maybe for some of you it's very recently and that's beautiful. But some of us have been on the road for a while and we can forget. For me, I remember when I gave my life to Jesus when I was 22 in a little flat in Nashville and I absolutely got a revelation that Jesus personally loved me and it changed my life. I remember walking from my little flat in Nashville to the train station. I literally felt like I was floating. It was that incredible joy and peace. Do you remember that? Don't ever forget it. Here's the thing. Suddenly I had a person who I could turn to 24-7, Jesus. I had uh, membership in the body, in the family. Suddenly I belonged. I had a place to call home. That's what you and I have. Let's never take that for granted. Do you remember what it felt like when you first fell in love with Jesus? It's easy for us to forget in the busyness of life. Can I encourage you to remember your testimony too of how you got saved? Tao's testimony is powerful, but so is yours. Alfred's is powerful. Jed's is powerful. Ellen's is powerful. Troy's is powerful. Everyone's testimony is powerful because it's yours. It's your story. It's powerful. Falling in love with Jesus is very similar to falling in love in the natural. Do you remember when you fell in love with your true love. Everyone look at your true love. If you've got a true love here today. I remember when I fell in love with Steve. Poor Steve. He hates me talking about him. But that's how it is. (laughs) He has no choice. He doesn't have the microphone. So when I first fell in love with Steve, I wanted to be around him all the time. We weren't because that would be unhealthy. But anyway... I was excited when I heard his voice on the phone. Does anyone remember when we had real phones? 
Remember that? And all you could do on the phone was talk to people. You couldn't get the weather. You couldn't uh, FaceTime each other. You couldn't Snapchat with silly filters. All you could do was talk. It was very simple, uncomplicated. So I used to love talking to him. I used to uh, get excited when the windows in our flat in Morris Street started to shake because that meant his Holden H.J. Kingswood had arrived outside the door <laughs> this throaty engine. I don't think it was revved up. You can ask him about that later. I loved getting to know him better, speaking with him, spending time with him. Do you remember when you felt that way about Jesus? Do you remember that? Never forget the wonder of those moments. We can become so used to it that we forget the wonder. Your testimony, not just in these four walls, but outside the church, is how we'll grow the church. When you tell people of your love encounter with Jesus. Here's the amazing thing. Before you ever loved Jesus, he loved you. Does that mess with your brain? Like we hadn't even been created. And yet he loved us. 1 John 4.10, if you can put that slide up, thanks Beck, says this. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He did this for you and I before we were ever born. Not only does Jesus love us, he wants us to live in his love, to abide in his love, to sojourn in his love, to dwell, to live in his love, to remain in his love, to be held in his love. John 15, 9, if we pop up to the next slide, says this. This is the Passion Translation. This is Jesus talking to us. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. Some of you just came to church today to hear that. God wants to nourish your hearts. Jesus wants to nourish your heart. Isn't that good news? Christ is our first love. So symbolically, we as the church are betrothed to be wedded to him. A wedding ceremony between a man and a woman is just a picture of what God in Christ has done for us, the church. And Christian marriage basically parallels the spiritual union of Christ and his church. It's one that is intimate and sacred. Brides often make a vow to forsake all others. You might have done that if you were a bride. This is what we're also called to do with God, to love God first and foremost and to have no other gods before him, as Exodus 20 says. Here's the thing I've learned. God loves us so much that he won't tolerate rivalry or unfaithfulness. And it's not because God is insecure. He's not uh, needy or possessive. It's actually because he knows the best thing for us is him that nothing else will satisfy our spirits like God does. So he wants us to be entirely devoted to him. So have a think about what's on your dashboard right now that might draw you away from Jesus. What are you missing out on when you're giving time to something else? And I'm asking myself this same question. In the busyness of life, it's easy to get drawn away into something else. Jesus loves the church and he gave his very life for her. Isn't that astounding? If you pop up the next slide, Ephesians 5.25 says this, Husbands, love your wives 
just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a pretty big ask for husbands, isn't it? It's like, wow. But that's what Jesus did for us as the church. So remember your first love. Remember Jesus. Church isn't about services or events. That's what we do. But what it is about is Jesus. So another beautiful characteristic of the Church of Christ, the Bride of Christ, is that we have this, the fragrance of Christ. Everyone say fragrance. There's a fragrance about the people of God and it's the fragrance of Christ. I just want to show you this photo from my wedding morning. Isn't that gorgeous? So that's me with little Sky, Sky Amanda Ollie, who is uh, three. She's now a mama with her own little uh, boy, married and all grown up with lots of sass. And um, that's my beautiful bridal bouquet. Now, I loved planning the wedding as a bride, most brides do. And um, one of the things I loved choosing was the flowers and the florist, obviously. And I wanted a giant bouquet partly so I could hide behind it. Uh, so it sort of, it was big. Let's go to the next slide. I want to show you this one. <laughs> Isn't that gorgeous? Possibly my favourite shot of the day, I think. So there are many mysteries in the world. There's the mystery of uh, Christ and the church. There's also the mystery of how Steve managed to jam that bouquet in his buttonhole. (laughs) And it didn't fall out. I don't know whose idea this was, but it was a good idea. You can see how big my bouquet was. So I wanted wanted my bouquet to look like this beautiful, spontaneous spray of flowers that I just walked through my garden picking on a dewy morning with roses and lilies. Of course it wasn't. It was a bouquet made somewhere in Ennendale by a crazy florist, but... (laughs) That's a different story. And I wanted it to be filled with beautiful scented flowers. So as I walked down the aisle, the scent, the fragrance would touch everybody as I walked through it. And this is actually described in a sense in this next scripture. So, uh, Beck, if you can pop that up. 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16 in the New Living Translation says this. But thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere as a sweet perfume. Everyone say sweet perfume. If we go to the next slide. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance. Wow, your life is like a fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. If we go to the next slide. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. Isn't that beautiful? And who is adequate for such a task as this? So, what is Paul actually talking about here? Let me first explain, and then I want to unpack this verse a bit. So William Barclay, the 20th century theologian, explains it. Basically, Paul is taking an image from the Roman world. So when a general and his men won a great battle, they would throw a triumphal procession. 
was a bit like when we throw a parade for, say, Olympic athletes when they've won a medal and they come back. Anyone been to those in George Street? Like a ticket parade. So in this parade, there were state officials, there were trumpeters, the spoils taken from the conquered land, a bull for sacrifice, the captives in chains, and then the priests swinging their senses with the incense just wafting out. And then there was the general and the army themselves with their decorations and shouting their cry of triumph. Can you picture it? So the picture that Paul has in mind is of Jesus Christ marching in triumphal procession throughout the world. And we are marching with him. But here's the thing, we're not like those fearful prisoners of war. Instead, we are willing servants of Christ who've been completely captivated by Jesus' love. And we get to share in the triumph of Jesus. But this is the thing I want you to focus on. That scripture talks about the, the sense that we go from place to place carrying our knowledge of Jesus and it's dispersed like a sweet perfume. Isn't that a beautiful image? Have you ever thought that your knowing Jesus personally could be like sweet, life-giving perfume to someone else? How amazing is that? Who knows how your life of walking with Jesus might actually be affecting the person sitting next to you at work? Someone you're doing a uni assignment with, group assignment. Who loves group assignments at uni? No one. Maybe the neighbour in your street. Your life could be like a sweet perfume to your neighbour. Our sense of smell is perhaps the strongest of all senses. Have you noticed that? Often a memory is attached to a scent. For example, the strong scent of mothballs and the really beautiful smell of lamb roasting in the oven reminds me of my pop's place. The aroma of fresh ground coffee reminds me of young adult years, my young adult years when I could actually drink coffee. Fran Japanese remind me of Hawaii, but you can take me back there anytime you want to, Steve. Freesias remind me of my childhood, and Gardenias remind me of summer. Our lives can be a sweet perfume that reminds people of Jesus. How cool is that? I really believe it's not so much in what we do, but in how we do it. It's the love, tenderness, patience. Maybe you could be the one at the lights that doesn't, you know, flick the finger. Shows the sweetness, patience, kindness, gentleness. Random acts of kindness could be showing the perfume of Christ. I love this quote from Maya, if you want to pop that up for us. Thanks, Beck. It is the breath and fragrance of a life hidden with Christ in God and deriving its aroma from fellowship with him. Wrap the habits of your soul in this sweet lavender of your Lord's character. Isn't that beautiful? We have a life hidden with Christ in God. The sweet aroma is because we spent time with Jesus. Have you noticed if you spend quality time with someone that you end up smelling like them? Just sniff the person sitting next to you and find out who they've been spending time with. Some of you did that, not very many of you. You're, you're scared. I'm sure we all showered this morning. Have you ever noticed if you spend time with your dog? Who has a dog? Where are the dog owners? Come on. There must be dog owners. 
You ever notice if you spend time with your dog, you can smell like your dog? It's just a good thing. I, uh, I don't know if any of you are doing the HSC right now, but I remember when I was uh, way back in the dark ages, when I studied for the HSC, I used to go outside and lie in the grass in Wagga Wagga, where I was living at the time. My little dog, Heidi, would jump on my lap, my little miniature schnauzer. Everyone say schnauzer. Schnauzer. And um, we'd have a lovely time. It was a very good study break, good thing to do, fresh air, play with the dog. But I'd come inside smelling like Heidi, which is... Uh, which is also a good thing if you love dogs. When you spend time with someone, quality time, you end up smelling like them, don't you? So I had this thought, it's a challenge for all of us. Am I spending quality time with Jesus, absorbing the goodness and sweetness of his character so I smell as sweet as he does? You can ask yourself that question. Do people feel that when they've spent time with me, they've spent time with Jesus? Hmm, sila. Let's look at this scripture, 2 Corinthians 2, 14 to 16 in the message. This is how the message puts it. In the Messiah, in Christ, God leads us from place to place in one perpetual victory parade. Through us, he brings knowledge of God. Everywhere we go, people breathe in the exquisite fragrance. And the next slide. Because of Christ... We give off a sweet scent rising to God, which is recognised by those on the way of salvation, an aroma redolent with life. People breathe in the exquisite fragrance. The fragrance of Christ is exquisite. It's beautiful. It changed your life. It saved you. When we're with people, we have that opportunity to bring that to their lives. So as the church, the bride of Christ, we are the sweet fragrance of Christ. It's actually a privilege, it's a hard word to say, it's actually a privilege to carry the presence of Jesus with us, isn't it? I remember when I met a bunch of radical young adults at Hurlston Park Uniting Church, and Steve was one of them, before I was a Christian, I thought, there's something amazing about these guys. There's this sweetness, there's this uh, genuine, authentic love there's this joy that goes beyond their circumstances. There is this peace they have. And I remember thinking, it sounds cliche, but I want what they have. And that was a sweet scent of Christ. How good is that? First love, fragrance of Christ. They're two beautiful things about the bride, about us, the church. And finally, the third one is we're faithful. But we have a faith in his faithfulness. So there's no faith in, I don't have faith in my faith, I have faith in Christ. I have faith in his faithfulness. We're faithful even unto Christ's return. Here's the thing, if you've given your life to Jesus, God has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee that he will come back and take us to be with him. So we're faithful, we keep our eyes on him. We don't give up. We don't get distracted. We know he's coming back to take us home. Isn't that good news? So when you know someone's going to come and pick you up and let's say you're dropped off somewhere and you know at a certain time someone's going to come and pick you up, you stay there and you wait, don't you? That's what you do. I was thinking, I remember when Steve and I were married and I was pregnant with Josh. Um, I went and spent two weeks at my parents' place in Wagga Wagga 
while Steve couch surfed with friends in Sydney. Now, we hadn't had a big argument. I know that's what you were thinking. We'd bought a house, and so we'd inspected the house. I'd seen it once, and we decided, this is the one. So we put down a deposit, we signed a contract, and then we had to wait for the settlement period, which was about two weeks between when our lease finished and we moved in. So I flew home to my parents for a while. But here's the thing. I knew where my new home was, and I never forgot about that. So we put down a deposit, it was a guarantee, and now we were waiting. And two weeks passed, and then Steve came and picked me up and took me home to our brand new house in Springwood, which we're still in. Renovate his dreams, still haven't renovated that much, that's all right. I was thinking, that's just like the promise of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? It's a promise of Jesus. Holy Spirit's with us, guarantee guarantee that Jesus will come back and take us home. And now we're waiting. We've talked about that this morning. Here's the thing. There's one little bit before the taking home, and this is an incredible celebration. It's a party. Who loves a party? It's the wedding feast, the wedding feast of the Lamb. Revelation 19, 7 to 8 talks about this. John writes this, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. So in this vision, John sees and hears a multitude of people praising God because the wedding supper is about to begin. Now, what we have to do is we have to remember wedding customs in Bible times were very different to how they are now. There was was kind of like three phases. So the first was the betrothal period. It's what we'd call the engagement. During this time, the parents of the bride and the bridegroom signed a marriage contract. So it's kind of an arranged marriage. Who likes that idea? No, no one's willing to put their hands up. The parents of the bridegroom or the bridegroom himself would pay a dowry to the bride or to her parents. Who likes that idea? So here's the thing. For us as believers, this phase begins when we said yes to Jesus. At that time, we received the Spirit, kind of like a ring around our hearts, a guarantee of what was to come. And symbolically, the dowry paid to the bridegroom's parent... God the Father is the blood of Christ paid on our behalf. So now as a church we are betrothed to Jesus. We are waiting for his return. Then the second phase of this whole wedding uh, ceremony or wedding custom was when the bridegroom, accompanied by some of his mates, his male friends, went to the house of the bride with torches. I'm not talking about ever-ready torches, you know, the flaming torches. So I want you to picture this. I tried to find a picture, but I couldn't find a good one. They'd all go to the bride's house. She was uh, expectant and waiting, thank goodness. Otherwise, that would have been pretty scary, men with torches. And um, she and her maidens would join, and then they would go back to the bridegroom's house. And that's the picture of Matthew 25, the parable of the ten virgins. So this second phase represents the rapture of the church, which we're not going to talk about today, but... Then the third phase was the marriage supper, and that's the celebration, that's the party. 
A marriage supper could go on for days, like the one where Jesus is asked to turn water into wine because it's been going on for days and days and days. That's why the wine has run out. So that's the vision that John describes in Revelation 19. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb. We will be there celebrating. But there are some people that won't be there unless we invite them. I want to encourage you to think about who you need to invite. Tell them your story, your beautiful story. Who knows what power is in your story? Who will be attending the wedding? Only those that said yes. Only those who, who said yes to the invitation. A final slide today. Revelation 19.9 says this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. If the creative team wants to come on back up. Hallelujah. So, hallelujah. So we as the church, the bride of Christ, are faithful in waiting We're faithful in keeping our eyes on Jesus. We're faithful in knowing that what he started, he will finish, right? If Jesus started it in your life, he will finish it. The only thing you need to do is just keep standing. Keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. So church is not a building. It's not an organisation. It's us. It's the people who love Jesus, those who've been called out, ones who have a story to tell, to invite others. We are the bride of Christ. And what makes this church so beautiful? What makes us so beautiful? It's funny. You know what makes the bride so beautiful? It's the bridegroom. It's Jesus. What might make the church attractive to others? First of all, it's our first love. Our first love, Jesus. That's what's attractive. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. The fragrance of Christ. Everywhere you go, you carry the presence of Jesus with you. That beautiful, sweet perfume that draws others to him. And then we're faithful. We're faithful. We trust in his faithfulness. That's what makes us faithful. We wait for his return. And in the meantime, we have a job to do, right? So here's the thing, Steve and I received this beautiful invitation a few, last year I think, for a wedding for my niece in Tasmania. We're going to the wedding because we said yes. I don't know everyone here today, but maybe some of you are here and you've never said yes to Jesus. Can I encourage you, it won't make your life a bed of roses, but it will change you from the inside out. God created you, there's a... God-shaped vacuum in your heart that only Jesus can fill. And some of you this morning maybe need to kind of renew your wedding vows, if you like. I'm not talking about in the natural. Maybe stuff's kind of got in the way of Jesus. It can happen to all of us. We forget what it's all about. So just for the sake of privacy, I'd love everyone to just close their eyes and I'd love to pray for you. I don't know if there's anyone here today and you need to give your heart to Jesus. Can I encourage you? It is the best decision you will ever make. Best decision ever. Because you were created for God. He loves you. He sees you. He knows you. Some of you just need to refresh 
your heart. Refresh your walk with Jesus. Stuff's got in the way. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm still here. I love you. I love you. I'm calling you back. So with everyone's eyes closed, is there anyone here today who would like to make that decision for the first time ever to give your heart to Jesus? If there is, just pop your hand up or just look at it. We'll pray together as a family. Is there anyone here today? Awesome. Praise God. Well, let's, as a, as a church family, let's make a recommitment today. Let me pray for you. Yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you are our, our loving saviour, our best friend. We thank you, Jesus that you came into our hearts, that we said yes, that we're invited to that marriage supper of the Lamb. But Lord Jesus, we know there are so many people that we know personally that haven't said yes yet. Help us, God, to let our lives be a shining example to them. But Lord Jesus, help us to be brave enough to tell people our story. We thank you, Jesus, that every one of us has an incredible story of your love, your goodness, your kindness to us. May we share that with others today. And Lord Jesus, we we make a decision today to keep first things first. You are first in our hearts, first in our lives. We love you, Jesus. We thank you so much for your goodness and your grace towards us. May we be a people who radiate your goodness, who show your goodness to others, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you are running after us. Your mercy chases us down. We're so, we're so grateful for that. Thank you, Father God.